0: Welcome to The Real Build. I'm your host, Bill Ryman, your broker builder. And today I have a very, very important episode coming at you. And I appreciate each and every one of you that listens to this podcast. But today you're going to want to listen to this one because we're touching on a huge, huge topic that we're all hearing about all over the news. And that is interest rates. That is right. I brought on bringing on Stephanie Boyd, who is a mortgage professional. She has been in the mortgage business for a long time, had a lot of success on it. And we are talking mortgages. It's been a while since I had somebody on in the mortgage industry. Last time I did, uh, you know, things were at a higher level. Um, rates were still cheap. And now, as we all know, interest rates continue to climb. So we wanted to talk about where are rates today? Where are they going? Can somebody buy something and refinance later at a cheaper rate? What do we expect? What are the expectations of rates here in the near future within the next year? Uh, Obviously, the real estate market's changing. The mortgage market's changing. Uh, You know, it's transitioning more where there's more inventory coming on. It's turning into more of a buyer's market. Obviously, people with financing and building homes. We touched on that as well. So Stephanie is awesome. She has been in the industry for a long time, a ton of experience. She's the CEO of her own mortgage business right now, and that she's she's probably the best in the business to talk mortgages. I was so glad to get her on here. Uh, you're gonna get a lot of info on this podcast, but before we get into this episode, you all know the routine. Please take the time to like, share, comment do what you got to do, share this with your friends and family. You guys are doing an awesome job at this. I appreciate each and every one of you five-star reviewing as well. We got a couple more of those. So you guys out there are awesome. Thank you so much each and every one of you for taking the time to do that. But with that being said, guys, let's hop into this week's episode. Welcome to The Real Build, the show that shows you exactly what you need to look for in construction and real estate. I am your host, Bill Ryman, your broker builder. And each week, I will teach you exactly what you need to look for, whether you are buying, building, or selling a house. I interview top people throughout real estate and construction, give you a better perspective prior to making one of the biggest investments of your life. I will also discuss my personal experiences as a luxury builder and real estate broker and answer your questions about the process. With that being said, welcome to The Real Build. Stephanie Boyd, welcome to The Real Build. How are you doing today?
1: Great. Thanks for having me, Bill.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm happy to have you on because obviously in your industry, the mortgage industry, we have a lot going on right now and that's why I'm excited to have you on and talk about some things and what you're doing. But before I get into that, let's find out more about you. So who is Stephanie Boyd?
1: Well, let's see. Um, I am a Californian. Um, I've always been a bit of a rebel in my life. Uh, I started out as a single mom. um, So when I was 16, I graduated from high school and went straight to college because I realized as a teenage mom, I had a lot of hurdles to get over and education was going to be like the only way through this thing. (laughs) So... um, Within a couple of years, I got enough units in criminal justice to get my very first grown up job as a criminal investigator. And so I worked on murders and all kinds of other nasty felonies for a few years. Kind of got burned out on that. Plus I had by then three little kids Um, by 2000 when I left that job and I decided to go ahead and join my family's real estate company. So That's when I originally got my real estate license. And back then, interestingly enough, there was no mortgage license. So that may or may not have had something to do with the crash of the market. There were a lot of uh, subprime loans going around, a lot of real estate agents doing loans, a lot of double, triple, quadruple ending these deals with a refi and a sale and a purchase and a Uh, There was churning going on. There was lots of things going on that eventually uh, were regulated after the crash in 2008. So um, now we have a body that regulates us. And so, um, yeah, I did that with my mom's company. Uh, after the crash, kind of everyone in our company went and got a massage therapy license for a few years so we could calm down and <laughs> decompress from the stress and the horrors of that uh incident. And then um, around about 2015, I came back into the industry and then I got my NMLS license. And um, gosh, it's been two years now since I got my broker's license and started out On my own adventure, Um, I filed my articles of incorporation, and um, yeah, I've just been working on building my own business. It's been a challenge this past year since the rates have been steadily increasing, and um, man, the mortgage industry right now is, at least in my market in California, where prices are still way too high, Mm -hmm. rates are way too high. Um, I would still describe it as extremely volatile.
0: Yeah, let's go into that a little bit more because obviously I'm in the Florida market too. So prices are crazy here. Uh, they, they've, they you know, things have, I don't want to say normalized. Let's say the market has a little bit where things aren't just selling overnight. Let's put it that way. Like they were yeah. uh, a little bit ago, but uh, they've normalized in that way, but prices are still way higher than they were. So you know, let's talk about the current state of the market a little bit and, you know, how things have changed over the last few years. You know, where are mortgage rates now? What are you, where are they currently going, do you think? Do you see things coming back a little bit? I mean, we all wish we had a crystal ball. I say that a bunch on this show, but uh, what's your opinion on everything going on in the mortgage market today?
1: Well, so first of all, I'm old enough to almost remember the rates in the eighties when my parents were talking about these interest rates and the SNL scandal and all this stuff that halted the huge interest rates and brought about the first wave of mortgage industry changes. So back then you could expect to get a rate of like 15 to 18% on your mortgage. So compared to that, we're certainly still in a good position. But what happened over the past few years was just crazy. Um, So, you know, for a few years, we're sitting around 4 or 5%, you know, uh, and then the pandemic hits and our base interest rate goes to zero. And we're looking at, I did a refi for investment property on a 15-year loan at 1.75% during the lowest part of the interest rates. This is absolutely unheard of, ridiculously low rate for investment property. Um, and so, you know, we had just tons of buyers looking for that low payment and tons of sellers making cash hand over fist, hundreds of thousands of dollars over the asking price. We had the stimulus money coming in. We had this just unprecedented world events going on. And now we're really paying the price. Um, so the fed stepped in, um, A little over a year ago and started announcing that they were going to start the rate hikes um anywhere between a quarter to three quarters of a percent every time they meet which they have done now for over a year Mm -hmm. so um a week or so ago they met again raised the rate by a quarter and my wholesale rates i've gotten in the past week uh three rate increases um two of them for a quarter one of them for a half a point so this is reflected not exactly in the interest rate going up by three quarters of a point, but the rate goes up some and the cost of the money goes up some. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, but so we're still today sitting around five and a half percent FHA, 6% conventional. So compared to my first house, let's just use as an example in 1997, um, I bought a house with a seven and three quarters percent interest rate. Zero down, no five hundred dollar down. So, um, and it was one hundred and seventeen thousand. My payment was around eleven hundred. That same house today with a lower rate is now worth around six hundred thousand. So, your payment is more like five thousand on that same mm-hmm. house today compared to my roughly one thousand dollar payment. So that's kind of a broad stroke of how this thing looks, and then on a day-to-day basis, we're affected by pretty much everything that goes on in the world. So anytime you get a news report of a war, an alien invasion, a uh, you know earthquake, tsunami, pandemic. Uh, you know, some weird stock market cringe, uh FBS or whatever that guy's name is. you know, when, whenever any of these things happen, it affects the market. The stockholders get nervous, the unemployment rate changes, the stock, you know, all these there's so many things that affect the cost of money. And so again, we're just at an unprecedented time, even though we've gotten over one hump, we're like, on the verge of some crazy world events going on there's all this uncertainty and i just it's just volatile um the prices i in my area we've seen about a 14 percent price value reduction so people are essentially losing equity in houses that they bought a year ago Mm -hmm. but for the good news for the buyers that are coming into the market now It's shifted from a seller's market to where the sellers just walked away with the bank to now it's more of a buyer's market and they can kind of ask for concessions. They can ask for closing costs. They can ask for repairs, things that they could never get away with um, a year or so ago because there were just so many competing offers. So it's evening out, I guess I would say. Um, I'm hopeful that the whole house of cards isn't just going to come crumbling down like it did in 2008 um i've seen some reports and predictions that are much more optimistic than others that i've seen recently um so yeah i mean we can just hope for the best on that hope for wise decisions in our uh leaders and everything um but the good news is it is still technically possible to get into a house with zero doubt there's Mm -hmm. lenders are making Um, room for more programs in California, we have, um, a thing called the Cal California housing finance agency, and they offer an equity builder down payment assistance where they'll give you up to 10% of your purchase price. So for a $600,000 home, you can get 60,000 towards your down payment costs, your down payment and your closing costs. So this is how you would own a house for less than renting. If you were faced with the cost of first, last deposit, all the moving things, plus your um, rent, you could actually walk in with very close to zero down with one of these down payment assistance programs. And they do vary by region. Um, There's a bunch of different programs depending on what state people are in. Um, But that is the good news is that lenders are trying to be creative to come up with products even in this market to help more buyers get in because obviously they want to sell money they want to make loans they want to help people in this you know kind of environment that we're in uh with the prices and everything and so they're kind of bending over backwards to come up with more down payment assistance more arm programs adjustable rates um you know you I've heard a couple of lenders offering 40 year terms to get the payments down. It's not, it's kind of frowned upon in the QM side of the industry, but non QM lenders um, are able to offer some alternate programs for people. So, you know, the industry is trying to evolve along with the state of affairs. Um, And yeah, it's just, I think it's real unpredictable these days.
0: Yeah. I mean, you have to evolve and obviously with everything, all the craziness going on. And like you said, what the, you know, the news just doesn't stop these days too. And it's always something, but it's, it's, it's figuring out, okay, how, how can we get people to continue to own homes too? And that's what I wanted to go into with you too, is, you know, how can somebody own a home? for less than renting because now the rents are going so high as well too in my specific area i'm sure yours in california as well too so what are some strategies for that to where they can own because i mean i know affordable housing is an issue in this country i've talked about it on this show too obviously being a builder myself too there's a lack of affordable houses especially i mean in my area alone i got a lot of guys traveling 45 minutes to over an hour to get down here to work because it's more affordable up north rather than in naples so um what are what are some things for somebody to own a home for less than renting do you recommend well
1: so the number one strategy that um a lot of my borrowers in the past were able to employ was getting in on a duplex or a triplex or a fourplex. So you can get an FHA loan and you can get your tenants to basically make your payment for you. So if you're in a duplex, of course, you've only got one tenant, but you know, if the rent is, enough, it could potentially pay your home mortgage, or maybe your portion of the mortgage is only 500 after the tenant pays their rent. So same thing with a triplex and a fourplex. Um, FHA is always kind of changing the rules, or more specifically, the lender overlays change more than the FHA rules change. So every lender has different uh, parameters that they will agree to work within. Some of my lenders don't do fourplexes. They'll only do a duplex, you know. So it varies um, but you know, two years ago, getting into a house for less than you could rent it was a way more viable conversation when the rates were in the twos and threes. Uh now, unfortunately, um, it's a little bit more of a challenge in my market in California, because um the rents are, like you said, increasing and the housing cost is decreasing some. Um So, you know, it would be accurate to say that you could get in and pay about the same for rent in some parts of town. So unfortunately, what a lot of people in California have realized over the past couple of years is that there are several way less expensive places to live than California. Mm. And so, you know, that's a strategy. My One of my sons, I've got three grown sons. And my middle son recently moved to Ohio where you can still buy a house for 80,000. So, you know, he went from here where rent would be like maybe 1800 for a two bedroom apartment. And he's in Dayton paying 695 for a two bedroom apartment. So, and he's making the same exact wage that he was making here. So it's not like there's any other equaling factors. Uh, So, you know, that's really why a lot of people, when they were able to work remotely, were just like, why would I continue living here where my rent is so much, where my mortgage is so much? I could sell my house right now, make $700,000 and move to Tennessee or Ohio, which is unfortunately this week, not such a great spot to live in, I hear. Um, But, yeah, relocating is another way to drastically change your housing expense. Um, so, but these down payment assistance programs are a really great way to get in with less than it would actually cost you upfront to move and change your apartment that you're renting, you know, because there is no first last in deposit. There's just uh down payment assistance. I've actually had people write a thousand dollar check for their earnest money deposit and get 1500 back at the close of escrow after the down payment assistance covered all their fees and everything. So um, there are a lot of options out there.
0: How Let's go into two is obviously, you know, like you said, there's a lot of options and so on as well, but how can somebody figure out, you know, how much they can afford or calculate how much they can afford for a home. So they are ready to go and get a mortgage right now. I mean, a lot of the interest rates are scaring people. It's like you just said too, you know, In the 90s, it was at 7%. I think at one point, interest rates were even higher than that in the 80s, I think, as well, too. At some point, they were way higher. And now, you know, we had next to nothing rates, and now we're going back up, and people are afraid of that, Uh, obviously, going from a 2% to an 8% or 7% is a big, quite the big jump, too. So how can they realize or figure out what they can afford? What's an easy, simple way?
1: So there is a real simple calculation. Basically, most lenders, as a rough guideline, you've got a front end and a back end ratio. So your front end ratio is your housing expense, and that's going to include your principal interest, taxes, and insurance. And then your back end ratio includes all of your bills, your car payment, your credit cards, Uh Basically, that number combined together can be roughly 50% of your gross income. Okay. So, um, you know, you you know what your annual is or your gross monthly salary. Um, just cut that in half and add up all of your bills and what's left is what you can afford to pay on your mortgage. Does that make sense? Yeah. So then, I mean, specifically what you need to really know is what would your rate be and there are mortgage calculators available online Mm -hmm. um your mortgage rate is really driven by your credit score obviously so you know um i do have programs for example fha doesn't have a credit score requirement and i have lenders that will work with you if you have no credit score or down to a 550 credit score with fha conventional loans typically require like a 620 to 640 area and then if you've got a score in the 780s then your rate's going to be way better than if your score is in the 600s so incrementally the rate goes up they charge you more and more money the worse your credit is so there's one really good reason to be careful with your credit stay on top of it um become educated in you know, managing it, keep an eye on it, get updates um, about how to improve your credit score. Credit Karma is good for that. They make little suggestions, you know, get a new credit card. Um, But one thing that they probably won't tell you, which I learned when I had a credit company come over and give a training in my office, um, they kind of broke down like what the credit bureaus score you and the percentage that is attributed to each, uh, category of factor. So your credit score is derived from a number of factors. One of them is the age of the account. So your older accounts, as you keep this account for 10, 20 years, that is a considerable factor and helps your score go up, uh, your credit usage. So if you're, If you've got five credit cards and they're all $5,000 limits, that's great. But if they're all maxed out, then that hurts. So you want those balances to be roughly 30% or less of your available credit. So the credit companies want to see that you know how to manage your debt and that you're making your payments and that you're not just going out and shopping and going on cruises every week and just maxing everything out and then making the minimum payments. So Getting new accounts will help your score go up, but only if you manage them responsibly, basically. That's what the algorithm is looking for is that you're not maxed out and you're not living on your credit, that you have disposable income and you're using it. Yes, but you're not abusing it. Um, and then of course, late payments. So, you know, if you have a 30 day, 60 day, 90 day late, um, all those things are definitely going to affect you. What really doesn't affect your score is medical collections um, and then old collections. A lot of times people come to me and they're like, I want to buy a house. So I went and paid off all my collections and they were really old. And I'm like, well, dang it. And they're like, yeah, it made my credit score go down. I'm like, yeah, because what happens is those old collections stop impacting your score after a couple of years goes by. And so it's the date of the last activity that the algorithm is picking up to, con- you know, to compute your score. So when, once you go pay that old collection, you've now made the date of the most recent activity last week. And now it starts again as a brand new bad collection, kind of according to the algorithm. Hmm. So a lot of times, you know, there are dollar limits if you have like 2,000 or so less in collections and they're old just don't pay those. They will go away. Eventually they paying them. I mean, you might want to pay them after you buy a house, but paying them right before you buy a house, you would want to probably not do that. Check with your loan officer before you pay any collections. Um, and uh, what, what, so my mom, I mentioned, I joined my family business. What she did along the way was add all of um, when I was a young mom, she added me as an authorized user on all of her old Sears accounts and all these old accounts that she's had since the seventies or eighties. And so with me and my social security number tied to her payment history, it helped my credit score go up. And then she did the same thing with my kids as a grandma with all of her old grandma accounts. And my son's score actually went up about a hundred points from having the benefit of her long lengthy payment history. Um, so that's one little thing that people can do to bump their score up. If they're lucky enough to have an old grandma with good credit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing, I mean, the sum it all up too, it's, it's just, if you have credit cards, pay them off. Uh, like I used to, I always tell people too, if you get to open up a credit card, use it as like a debit card, just mindset wise, you have to pay that thing off. instead of using your debit, you're using your credit, but you're paying that credit off each and every month. And it's like you exactly. said, it's like you said too, the more accounts you have, the better. Obviously, do not close those accounts too. I've a friend that's yeah. in the credit business, and don't close those accounts. spend a little bit of money just to keep those accounts active so they don't close themselves as well. Whether it's ten dollars here and there
1: and another thing um that my credit company told me is that they don't really like the zero balance you want Mm -hmm. to so when i run like a scenario to improve your credit score it'll say pay the balance down to a hundred dollars or so it doesn't really like to see the zero balance all the time it likes to see a very small balance but not over 30 percent so yeah use them and pay them and leave maybe a tiny bit on there like the interest on 40 dollars on your card is going to be negligible mm-hmm. but it might bump your score up a few points
0: yeah okay. yeah let's go i want to go into do with you too talking about credit and all this kind of stuff too let's let's go into some common misconceptions about the mortgage industry uh that you want to clear up too. just I'm trying to do this show different with you, too, because I've had past mortgage professionals on here. I don't want to ask the whole process of getting a mortgage and all that again uh, and be repetitive. I'm trying to switch things up with you uh, because you have a lot of experience in mortgages as well. So what are some of the misconceptions that people here you deal with, I should say?
1: Well... I mean, we really got a bad rap after the 2008 crash happened. Mm -hmm. Um, We definitely, I mean, like I said, uh, a lot of massage therapists were born out of that. (laughs) We kind of like crept away, holding our head in shame. Um, I mean, we were kind of conned by our lenders who we trusted to give us products that were good, you know. And so they're like, yeah, come and." sell this option arm with the minimum payment and a, and it's so slick and you would just make so much money off of them and it's great for your borrowers and it's great for you. And, you know, as we now know, it allowed people to go underwater on their mortgages. They were making minimum payments. They had tons of principal and interest added to the back. It was a horrible idea. And now we're not allowed to do that anymore. So, I mean, we, I don't feel like a lot of mortgage brokers were really bad intentioned with those things. We were just like doing what we were told by our people that were in charge of telling us what we were supposed to be doing because essentially we're real estate agents that were making loans and, Mm -hmm. you know, brokering loans, not making them. So, you know, it, um, we got a reputation for sure for being, um, let's say greedy, uh, and those, um, you know, not lack of transparency and i'm sure there were sleazy lenders that were doing things that they shouldn't have been doing along the way um and interestingly one of those things was simply trying to help people qualify to buy a house with a stated income loan where you were allowed they told us we're allowed to lie they called them liars loans. so we tell you how much you need to make to qualify for this loan. And you say, yes, I make that much. And, you know, that was like, not the fraud part. That was just like the guidelines allowed for this. And we did this. And then some loan officers were actually, according to my continuing education, quite a few loan officers were trying to change documents to make borrowers qualify uh, that really didn't. But, um, you know, there was just it was the wild, wild west of loads. Um, so, you know, I think that we did get a reputation for uh, being somewhat loosely moral or something. Um, and definitely I think there's a lot more transparency in the industry now. Um, some of that was forced upon the industry by the regulations, but um I think that there's still plenty of honest moral people in the industry, you know, they don't, they do a thorough background check. So you can't like be fresh out of prison for bank robbery or anything (laughs) and get your mortgage license. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think that that really, it's it's a service industry. And I don't think that a lot of loan officers historically really took that seriously as, you know, being service minded, being you know, genuine, transparent, all of those qualities that you would look for in somebody trusted with your financial services. Um, so yeah, I I'd say, I mean, I I don't really experience many of these accusations, but for overhearing conversations here and there, you know, um, but there's probably some people that. Think that mortgage brokers make too much money for not doing enough work. Um, but, you know, it is a highly specialized, regulated industry. And um, there are definitely checks and balances in place where, you know, it really did used to be the lender would basically bribe us with a rebate on the back end. We'd get a huge rebate and we would charge the borrower origination. And those things aren't allowed to happen anymore. So the fees have really been reined in um by the regulations, and the transparency uh has been regulated as well. so um yeah, right I mean I did are those misconceptions or are those um preconceptions? I'm not really sure. um I may have answered the wrong question no
0: right? you're you're good. I mean it's. <laughs> I think it's every industry. I mean, when things times are busy, times are good, stuff like that, you always have your your uh businesses and so on that come in that are d- dishonest, doing the wrong things and so on too. And obviously during that time, uh, you know, it was it was the wild wild west, but you have the same thing with real estate agents, you have the same thing with you know, when times are busy with builders, I talk about it all the time. Like, you know, times are busy right now in the building industry and there's a lot of builders that should not be building, uh, you yeah. know, and there's going to be a lot of people that are going to get burnt once it's all because when the construction industry stops, it stops. It's like a light switch. Things things slow down and and, you know, it's just like every other market. It's up and down, up and down. So, you know, I I that was definitely a good answer on it, too. And one thing I wanted to get into, you know, obviously, because of time and everything I'm trying to get through this with you too, is, is, you know, what are the biggest challenges now you guys are facing in the mortgage industry for the next years to come? What are some challenges you're facing? You know, we talked about the past. Let's talk about what's coming up here too. A little bit.
1: Well, I mean, it's rates, it's rates, it's inflation, it's prices. Um, So, I think one of the interesting things that I've noticed happening is that um, humongous investment conglomerations are buying up gigantic portions of the market. So, and then as we see more foreclosures coming, which we are, and we will see more. um, Mm -hmm. In fact, we're going to start. So there was a moratorium on tax lien sales that just expired because of the pandemic. So, tax lien sales are back on and um people are going to start losing their homes to foreclosure to these tax lien sales that weren't happening um and so i really think that the challenge for mortgage professionals is just finding enough people who can afford a mortgage with this inflation and these prices you know um there, and then again, we've got like the tech sector laying off a lot of people. So in my area, you know, we're very close to San Francisco and most of the people who live there are in the tech industry. Uh, so as those high paying jobs are whittled down, I guess, and as the prices, you know, either stay the same or come down, I, it, I don't think anybody really thinks that the prices are going to skyrocket again and we're going to get over this uh price reduction era that we're in very quickly. Um so will the rates keep going up for another, you know, until they get to 8%? Like 8% is pretty much where I thought they would end up when this whole rate hike thing started. And then when the Fed said they were going to do this for a year, I was like, oh, well, maybe they'll only be around 7%, you know, but now we're in a whole new place as a world than we were like a year and you know a little over a year ago things have drastically changed and uh yeah i think it's just affordability is the biggest challenge that everyone's going to face um so as people pay more for gas and for their groceries and for just about everything energy is crazy in my area um People are paying like twice as much for um, gas as they were last year. Yeah. So, you know, uh, nobody want, including me, certainly I don't want to see the prices go back to a hundred thousand like they were in 97, but like literally that's the only thing that's going to make people be able to afford these rates is if prices come down drastically. And then where does that leave all the people that bought their house for super inflated price two years ago? um you know will that drive another wave of people dumping their houses that they way they owe way too much on like they did in 2008 mm-hmm. um you know it's just um i think there's a lot of uncertainty and that's certainly another challenge um because what do you do when pe- i mean i had so many buyers priced out when these rates started going up you know people that were barely qualifying with they're really good jobs um but you know if you've got a $700 car payment or whatever and your your ratios are pretty close as it is to get a nice house that you want now the rates are 3% higher than they were yeah uh definitely yeah that's i think the challenge is affordability
0: yeah, and I think that's, an, it's like you just said, it's even in the car market, too. Uh, how in, I just saw an article on how inflated the car prices are, even for used cars, too, and people are paying more than ever before for vehicles, and an average of $1,000 a month and up for new vehicles is just insane, too. I mean, you buy a Honda yeah. Civic and you're paying $1,000 a month for it, it's crazy, you know? Exactly.
1: And I have a guy I've gone to a bunch of times to buy used cars for my kids, and his prices are 25% more than they were a couple of years ago when I bought my last car for my kid. So he used to pretty much everything was six thousand dollars for his cars that had a hundred thousand miles on them. Now they're all eight
0: thousand. Wow! Wow!
1: Well, yeah. So yeah, I mean, they talk about oh. It- inflation's 0.4% or something and it's really like in reality i don't know where they get that number from but um everything i'm paying for seems like i'm paying 25 percent more
0: for it oh yeah go to the supermarket and look at eggs it's eight dollars for a carton of eggs now so it's just <laughs> it's, it's, yeah
1: and that's like 400 percent increase in the mm-hmm. price of eggs yeah. so I mean, yeah, and that's got to be scaring people, too. But I think that the thing that people should really keep in mind when they're thinking about buying a house, like if you're in a position to be able to do that, like you're paying rent anyway, 100% of your rent is paying your landlord's mortgage. Mm -hmm. You're building 0% equity for yourself. So even if you had to pay $300 more for your house payment than your rent or $500 more for your house payment than your rent, you still are investing in yourself and your future, in your own security, your family's wealth, something to pass down to your kids, and all that stuff, where, you know, basically you're just flushing your money when you're renting. So, but it's rough. I mean, I just, I don't know where it's going to go. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's getting crazier every day.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And one before we wrap this up with some personal questions, too, I just wanted to cover because this is a very important topic is, you know, veterans too and and VA loans. Obviously, you have extensive knowledge on that as well. Is there any specific things that are offered to veterans right now? Or is that still are they getting hurt as well? Or what do you see in there?
1: Well, so, um, I'm very proud to say that I'm actually an Air Force mom and my, um, youngest son is getting out of the Air Force in a couple of months and he's looking to get his VA loan entitlement. Um, so the good news is that of course the VA is still backing these loans for our service members, um, active duty or, uh, you know, discharged honorably. So, um. They offer a lower than average rate and zero down and no mortgage insurance. So those are the big perks of the VA loan is that anywhere else, if FHA, you walk in the door and you ask them to borrow a hundred percent, first of all, most of the time they'll say no without down payment assistance, which is going to have a little higher rate, but they're going to add on a ton of mortgage insurance, um, like almost 1%. So uh. VA, no down payment, no mortgage insurance, and their rates are lower than conventional rates. Um, I think today, let me see here. I had a VA rate up. Um, Oh, they're about, I think they're just under 5% today okay. for VA, Um, but maybe right around 5%. She, I can't quite get it there. But yeah, lower than conventional, competitive with FHA rates um which maybe they're five and a quarter five and a half um and no mortgage insurance so i do love working with veterans and also the va similar to fha does not have a credit score requirement but obviously the better and the higher score you have the lower of a rate you will get with your va loan and um yeah i love helping veterans get into homes for zero down whether they're active duty and they're looking for a place for their family near their base, um, or, you know, retired, discharged, like my son will be. It's a great program that, um, is sadly one of the few things that as a country we do to take care of our veterans. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, they get their GI benefits and their VA loan and their VA medical care. And, uh, I'd say that the VA loan is definitely the nicest one of those benefits for sure.
0: Yeah, and I appreciate your son's service too, my dad. I come from a family of veterans too, and anything they can get, uh, especially with the VA loan, too, helps as well. Like you said too, because it is important. Stephanie, I wanted to wrap this up with some personal questions before we go here. Uh, this is one of my favorite questions: is what about you personally? Obviously, you're building building an amazing company and your brand continues to grow each and every day. What lessons have you learned throughout your journey that we should all apply to our own business or lives that can help us grow?
1: Well, my favorite tip for personal growth is to look around periodically and assess your personal relationships and friendships. And if you're the smartest one in your friend group, go out and find some new friends that are smarter than you, because those are the people that you're going to learn from and grow from. And it really, it's, it's lovely and it feels nice when you're the smartest one in the room, but you're not going to learn anything unless you surround yourself with a higher caliber. Um, So, you know, there's a lot of networking events out there. I go to, you know, realtor functions and, I have some investment investor functions I go to and just trying to meet people who are doing something that I don't know about yet. And um, you might find the most intelligent people in the most surprising circumstances. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's a lot of smart people out there that are doing creative and amazing things. And I just say, go out and find them and soak up what knowledge you can from other people.
0: Love that. Love that answer. A hundred percent agree with you too. It's it's you know, you surround yourself with the people who you're gonna become, that's for sure. So um uh, love that. And another question I like to ask, people ask you about your past, let's talk about your future. Where will we see Stephanie 10, 15, 20 years from now? Who will you be?
1: You know, I just hope to be able to carry on my family's tradition of helping first-time homebuyers become Um, successful homeowners. And I just love helping young people make their dreams come true for their young families. Um, So, I mean, I don't think you're going to see me on the red carpet anywhere, but um, you know, my mom's been doing this for almost 40 years and hopefully in 20 years, I'll be able to say the same thing. And I just, um, yeah, I hope that we can we'll make it through this rocky time together, no matter what we have to do, and you know the real estate industry to get by. Um, and I just hope to be helping young families attain the American dream of home ownership.
0: Love it. And my last question to you and what this show is all about is: what exactly do people need to look for when hiring a mortgage broker, and why should they choose Stephanie as their broker of choice?
1: Well, I think that the exact thing you should look for in a mortgage broker is someone who is service oriented, somebody with a servant's heart. I think that you can generally tell who that person is by the way they either try to hustle you or they don't try to hustle you. Um, I've seen a lot of hustlers out there. And so I think that you know, you really want to look for somebody with honesty, integrity, and transparency. And a lot of times people come to me and during this happened so much when the rates were low and they're like, I heard I should refinance. And I'm like, well, hold on. Rates are really great, but let's look at your situation. And there were several people where I was like, you know what? This doesn't make sense for you. You're going to pay all these loan fees and you're, you've got eight years left worth of payments and you're going to restart this loan for 30 more years and pay all these fees like I would say don't do it and that does mean I don't get a paycheck but you know you want to really um get a hold of somebody who's got your best interest in heart who's not just trying to make money because there's plenty of money out there, but there aren't enough um reputations to go around. So you just really um I think that's a the, the key, asset that we all have is our word and our you know our reputation stands Mm -hmm. on its own
0: i love it stephanie thank you so much for the time today too where can people connect with you find you
1: um well i am in california i'm licensed to work all in the state and i'm at Stephanieboy.com and that's stephanie with an f
0: awesome stephanie this was great i appreciate your time today Thank you it so was much really nice
1: chatting with you, Bill. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Awesome. And everybody listening, you know the routine. Please like, share, comment, subscribe, and five-star review on iTunes. I really appreciate it. It goes a long way. And I will see you all on the next episode.